Happy Wednesday. Maybe Tuesday night. Depends on when this goes out. It is the Crossing Broadcast. I am Russell Joy at Joy on Broad. Joined as always by the founder, the operating manager of CrossingBroad.com, Kyle Scott. Kyle at Crossing Broad on Twitter for those of you who want to follow if you're not already. Kyle, I had uh, a well, fulfillment like, operations to my uh, and customer service to my repertoire. That sounds that sounds nice. We've got a lot a lot to cover. Um, just to give people a little bit of a rundown of what's going on, uh, we have some highlights from the Jake Arietta presser. A bunch of comings and goings for the Eagles. Um, we probably won't touch on it much, but the Flyers lost in heartbreaking fashion to the Vegas Golden Knights at home uh, two ni- or last night. Uh, or two nights ago, depending on when you're listening to this. And, of course, uh, we'll lead off with the Sixers' loss to Indiana at home in a game that um, I think is is a perfect uh, perfect way it was encapsulated, all the issues that we've had with the Sixers team this season. They all just kind of reared their ugly heads. Uh, Joel Embiid had eight turnovers in the game. Ben Simmons disappeared in the fourth quarter. And ultimately, um, I think Ala Abdinabi put it best in the fourth quarter there was a possession uh, where the ball kind of bounced around between J.J. and Dario in the corner, and I think Ben Simmons. Uh, it just looked like they were playing hot potato, but Alad Abdenabi, after they turned the ball over, said it, it looked like they were acting like they were allergic to the ball. And it, it's a tough loss to have happen against an Indiana team that's now, I believe, a game up or a game and a half up on the Cleveland Cavaliers in their division. They're firmly entrenched right now in the third spot in the Eastern Conference. And for a team that was looking to, uh, you know, kind of knock Indiana off their uh, off their game a little bit and try to make a case for being a top three or top four team in the Eastern Conference, it certainly doesn't help to uh, to lose in heartbreaking fashion at home. But that's where we're at. Are you angry? Are you angry with the fourth quarter? Um. Yeah. I I think more than anything, it's it's disappointing, and we I, I'm not going to do the railing thing here. I'm not going to do the complaining thing. But, you know, like mm-hmm. it's it's just like it feels so much like every other game that we've complained about them losing. Um, you know, people like to go with the turnover number. And I think the Sixers were, uh, I think, minus 12 in turnovers in that game. You just can't do it against a playoff team. Now, granted, in their last, I think it's the last 27 games of the season, 17 are against teams that are not currently in playoff position. So they still have, I think, maybe the softest record in the NBA, uh, you know, of... Um, schedule yeah yeah that one and so you've got you know plenty of of time to make up you know the the current gaps that exist in the eastern conference i still think it is a lot it is reasonable that you can get into the fourth seed in the conference if all goes well boston's been trailing off toronto's ridiculously hot indiana i think is still you know victor oladipo's team uh to the max and if he goes cold for long stretches at you know the end of this season like there's there's a chance to jump over them and Cleveland's kind of a mess again which is great to see um but yeah I I think more than anything I'm frustrated because of who they lost to and you know once again Joel kind of goes into turnover machine mode and and Ben disappeared in the fourth quarter and you know you look at the box score and he had a triple double and I didn't put this on Twitter because I know what kind of flack this will catch but like it reminded me of an Andre Iguodala triple double I mean, you're you're squeaking by there, and it's great. Like triple doubles are awesome, right, sir? The question was, is this your handwriting? Yeah, I mean, I I think I think you get people, the reference. No, it was a it was from Donald Sterling deposition uh, back in 2003, and he gave this long. Someone asked him if if it was his handwriting on a note, uh, and the answer he gave was. Uh, well, I fool around sometimes. I do. When a girl seduces me and tells me these hot little stories and dirty things, she tells me how much she wanna, wants to suck on me and take my shoes off and lick my feet. And he goes on, and then they say, sir, the question was, is this your handwriting? My point is I asked if you were mad, and somehow we got into a treatsy about the Eastern Conference. Sorry. Uh, and you took a dig at, at, at Ben Simmons, however subtle, yet again, despite the fact he turned in his uh, – let me make sure I have this straight. Sec- seventh. His seventh? Which, triple double of the yeah, year, which according to the NBA on ESPN Twitter account, most triple doubles in a season by a rookie, Oscar Robertson, of course, number one with 26. Uh, yeah. Ben Simmons has now tied Magic Johnson uh, for seven. So uh, note that you just took a 
dig in him. Here's my um, yeah. I, look, I, it's it, it would have been nice to to take this game. I think um, we talked a lot about sliding scale expectations with Adam, and one of the things, and honestly, this is it. I think a function of sports talk radio in general. Uh, and now podcasting, especially because we do three a week and we talk about all the teams. Um, you know, it see, sports seasons are long, and I feel like when we sit here and have a conversation about every game or every few games, uh, and certainly on the radio when they talk about every game, at least if it's you know football and basketball. Uh, you know, there's 80, 80 plus games in a season, 160 in a baseball season, and you try and draw uh, conclusions from individual games and this and that and um it's tough because teams throughout the course of a year good teams or bad teams have good games and they have bad games and it is what it is and i still think we are way out ahead of our skis with regard to uh the sixers um prognosis for this season and they've reset those expectations again sliding scale several times to the point where we could seriously entertain them being a a a 47 win team and a three seed or, or what have you. Um, you know, and then we get disappointed and, and a little torqued up with games like tonight. And we continue to forget that there's guys like Simmons who are rookies. And when they do disappear in the fourth quarter, that is a, you know, that is a common trait of, of many rookies. And you get a little yippee with the ball, also a common trait of many rookies. So the fact that we have a healthy Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons is, is more than as advertised. Uh, you know, I just find it hard to get, I think, as emotional about a regular season loss as you or, you know, certainly Phil and and, those, and Jeff do in the Slack chat, because it's like ultimately in the big picture, we're still getting a lot more than we bargained for this year. And, you know, I'll get more wrapped up in playoff games and all of that. But, you know, for the time being, it's like, hey, let's just see where this comes in. We know what we got. We don't have a shit team. We don't have a, a title contender. We have a decent mid-tier playoff team, which is more than we bargained for. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess it goes back to that conversation Kevin and I had a while ago. Just are doing this for so long, the bar feels like it has moved higher to what really, like, will tweak me on a nightly basis. And like a Sixers Pacers loss, like, yeah, it sucks in terms of the standings, but it's like, okay, I'm, I'm still feeling real good about where the Sixers are at in the big picture. Yep. <laughs> it, it's funny, too, because like I, I kind of I called it the uh, well, it, it doesn't matter now, but I did tweet at one point early in the game that I think that there's still a path that if the Sixers get the three, four or five seed and Markel Fultz comes back remotely close to his Washington days, there's a chance they can make the Eastern Conference final. Um, I say that after, you know, having, you know, taken a passive dig at Ben Simmons, I guess. But did you say Fultz? Yeah, I said Fultz. Okay. Uh, because East, le- because the let Eastern me, Conference Final. Yeah, Markel so let Fultz me, leading them there? I not I didn't say leading, but I said if he's remotely close to what he was at, at Washington, meaning if he can be a playmaker and can at least be quasi reliable to uh to space the floor, which would obviously mean shooting outside of the paint. Keith Pompey uh tweeted out some videos today and the videos were really nice and they show Markel Fultz fading away at the baseline and making a shot just inside the three point line. And, like, the nice thing about it was it looked fluid. And the the whole thing, depending on which beat writer you like to read or, or check the tweets of, some beat writers get excited by the fact that he looks so fluid off the dribble because ultimately that's how he's going to create in this system. Um, there are others who like to point out the fact that uh, they claim that the off-the-dribble jump shots have never been the issue. It's always been the spot-up shots, which are going to be a concern if he does get back on the floor this season, even you know at the end of the season into the playoffs, and he's going to have to play off-ball uh, from Ben Simmons. Although, if he ends up being more fluid as an, off the, or as an on-ball shooter going off the dribble, I wouldn't be opposed to having him with the ball in his hands at the end of games. That might not be this year, but going forward... He's the kind of guy that like all uh, that Oladipo has been for Indiana, uh, where he he has that killer's mentality. He has that, uh, you know, the desire to knock down that game winning shot. So, you know, I I do think if they bring him back, be, yeah, I, I now, do think. Hold on, go this ahead. is going to be me keying in on on one of your sides. I'm, he has yeah. the desire to knock down one of the game winning shots. He's literally scared, he, more so than maybe any player in NBA history is currently afraid to shoot the ball. Uh, 
hello. Yeah, I was, I was trying to think of how to how to <laughs> how to unpaint myself out of that corner. He, I, I he, think I, I know what you're thre- saying. Thread his. I, I think it's fair to say that until this season, uh, he had always been a guy that had, had been looked at to be that scorer for his team in his and freshman to, year in Washington. Yeah. Why not? I mean, yeah, like, well, the team yeah. was awful, but, like, who were you going to down the stretch in Washington? You were going to Markel Fultz when you played in high school. Like, who were you going to go to? Markel Fultz. Like, he's got to be the guy to shoot. So, what I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is he, he gives you a much more dynamic um, end-of-game look than Ben Simmons does. Because, yeah, ultimately... He should be the guy. Yes. Yeah, he, because, in theory, his role, and this is the somewhat remarkable reason that the Sixers are in the position they're in right now, Fultz's role on this team was going to be that that guy. And wh- whether Simmons had the ball in his hand more or whatever, Fultz is the guy when you really need a basket and you're struggling and the shots aren't falling and this and that. You give him the ball and say, all right, go make something happen. At the very least, get to the line. I mean, that is that is reason one why they drafted him. Reason two was also from that role, he could function as a spot-up shooter. Um, obviously there's potentially a problem with the latter. I don't think anyone really doubts his ability to get to the basket and or the line. The problem is he, you know, as far as we know, can't shoot and can't convert free throws accordingly, which is also a problem that Ben Simmons has. Um, so it, on one hand, it's, it's remarkable that the Sixers are as good as they are missing, um, you know, what was an obvious need that Fultz was supposed to fill. So I agree with you. I, I think having him, and the reason why he's so important is because he he does fill that role. They currently don't have anyone that can go do that. And teams that don't have that become a little bit one-dimensional down the stretch because you could take away, you can double your big man, you can make sure Redick doesn't get an open look, and then you basically force Ben Simmons to get to the basket, and oh, by the way, he doesn't want to draw contact because he's not a good free-throw shooter either. Either, Yeah, that's so kind the of player. what we saw on that, that last shot of the game. Well, what ended up kind of being one of the last shots of the game was um, Ben Simmons on the out of you know on the inbound pass. They ran a curl near side for uh, for JJ. Ben didn't want to get it to him because there was a double team looming. And part of that you know is you know Embiid is wide open at the top of the arc, but at that point he had already shot over four from three, and then he would eventually make that over five on that shot. But like I'm not saying that the inbound the inbound passer is typically somebody that you're going to look to get a three point attempt on with like seven or less seconds on the clock. But you could tell the way that Indiana designed that that defensive scheme. Uh, they were not treating Ben as if he was going to become any kind of threat because, you know, obviously Philly was going to, uh, the, the way that they had set the play up is as if they wanted to go for the tie. They weren't looking for a quick tune to play the foul game any longer. So, you know, even even if we're right and we think that Mark Hill should be the guy who holds the, the ball for the final shot, going forward assuming that he is the player that you know he's been drafted to be and that doesn't mean this year that just means in the future the problem with that is ben is useless off ball at the end of a game i mean like honestly he is because he won't shoot so unless you're looking for Fultz to be like the facilitator have the dribble drive option and then a kick out it almost has to be like a kick out to ben in the corner hope that at that point in his career like that after a summer of development that maybe he decides that he wants to shoot corner threes or at least become kind of like how Embiid is like a 31% shooter from three. Like maybe if if Ben can do that on corner threes, it at least gives an option and then he can he can become like the secondary facilitator to swing a pass out to Covington or whomever uh, on the wing for a three. Like maybe that's eventually what that play ends up being. But, you know, it, it does kind of create a problem. Um, I, I don't know. Like I, there, there are so many sets of problems that can happen when Fultz and Simmons end up playing together. And they were things that I think we had talked about last summer. And, and like, ultimately, I want to see Fultz, and I want to see him this year because I do think he can help this team just as a playmaker. But, you know, I, I, I don't know how he and Simmons are going to look together. I have an idea, and the likelihood of it not looking pretty, especially as you're getting ready for a first-round playoff matchup, you know, I could see the, the reason that coaches and that the team might not want him to play. If that makes yeah, well, sense. And that's, he could that's help the you, other but... thing. I mean, you mentioned the possibility of him coming back and, and helping the, the Sixers along the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not so sure that he's coming back this year. I, I don't 
I'm not. Yeah, there's no popular thinking on this because the Sixers are so coy, and um, I think their original intent was for him to be out about six to eight weeks when he first went out. Obviously, that did not happen. So I I just don't know that there's actually. If I'm them, I don't. I don't bring him back this year. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you bring him back, and look, he's he's going to be really rough around the edges, regardless of whether he's figured out a shot. But maybe you bring him back, and he gives you some sort of strong presence off the bench, and is able to give you ten points off the bench, uh, you know, relatively efficiently, because he's as good as he is. Maybe going up against a second unit, something along those lines. Um, that's the upside and you're like wow this guy's really good we have the number one player in the M- in the nba draft who is just getting added onto our team and holy shit he adds a dimension i think the more likely scenario is you you know his leash is going to be real short because the team is now finds themselves playing meaningful games games they want to win game you know they can win a round they could potentially win two rounds in the playoffs if if everything were to break right so his leash is short. The pressure is there. You put him in a, it, it. To me, it doesn't feel like a situation in which he would thrive, regardless of whether he's figured out his shot. I almost feel like it's better at this point to shut him down and make sure he gets his ass to summer league next year. Um, do, I just I don't mean, know psychologically do th- if that helps him. I don't. I, let me be clear about something. I'm not saying that I think he's going to come back. But I'm saying if he if he does come back, that tells me that the team thinks he's going to be a significant contributor. And if that's the case, then that means that he's got to be playing similar to the the player we thought we were getting. And that I think do get I do think that gives them a chance at an Eastern Conference final, because like if again, not to to do a dive on the conference, but like Boston's hit the skids. They've now lost Marcus Smart. And I forget the other guy's name, Theus. Um, And Brad Stevens is now being questioned at least a little bit nationally as to, you know, what's led to this skid and why do they seem to be unable to adjust. Boston's kind of fallen out. The only team that that really does look like a legitimate contender out of the East right now is Toronto. Of course, we know that Cleveland eventually, you know, they have LeBron James, and so he always turns it on, and they always make magic happen in the playoffs. But, like, you know, realistically, if if you get anywhere from three to five, you have a shot. Somebody's going to get upset at some point. Or, you know, you're going to end up on a collision course with LeBron. You've beaten him once. It's possible. Philly's a good matchup for Cleveland outside of LeBron. Um, That's all right. That was, well, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Where no, I, look, I, I don't think the, the Cavs can be beat. I, I don't think the Sixers are the team to do it. And ultimately, the Celtics and, and Raptors are just stronger overall teams. Um I just don't know about Fultz. I, I, I think, to your point, there's an X factor there that he could bring, and it could be there could be a definite wow factor. But there's a conditioning concern. There's a you know flow of the game, rotational concern. I just I don't know how much he could realistically help you. Um, other, I don't know. I, I don't. I, it'll be I, interesting to see if they really feel that strongly that he is fully back. Then then yeah, I mean he he certainly should have the talent to come in and 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 help you in more ways than one. But there's also going to be inefficient possessions. There's also going to be turnovers. I mean, keep in mind, this is, you know, essentially, I keep forgetting that he actually played it all this year. Yeah. You're essentially somebody, going somebody to get on Twitter the first 15 that. games of a rookie's career. Uh, it's crazy. The, it's like yeah, it's there was, almost it's like it didn't happen. Somebody on Twitter, when I mentioned it, said, well, he's not going to come back because he doesn't want to mess up his rookie of the year eligibility like Ben did last year. And I, I, actually, like, I and literally I like, yeah, thought but, that to myself. And I was like, yeah, but he, you know, remember he played in four games, including that awful Boston game that I was at that, you know, he had a wide open three and he, uh, he kind of got into I was a there turtle well, shell. That was the game I puked in the park. Oh, that's right. The Charlie's burgers. Sad. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, I yeah, you so, do have to wonder though, like I, I like TJ McConnell a lot, but like TJ had a really rough stretch in, in February. And like, you do have to kind of wonder at some point how, how much could Fultz really hurt the guard rotation? I mean, like there, there is an argument being made that Marco Bellinelli is getting too many minutes since he's been, you know, brought in. They, they need help on the wing. And again, like as a secondary ball handler, you know, even if there's not that massive, you know, um, threat of, of shooting from deep, if he has at least a mid-range jumper that's somewhat reliable, he's got to be a, a help in some way. I but, get. I, I guess my point is you're just going to have 
you're going to have inefficient, you know, you could have efficient scoring, but you're going to lose possessions. There's going to be turnovers. There's going to be wasted opportunities. There's going to be more difficult shots than are needed, especially as if someone is adjusting to, you know, near playoff level intensity and game speed. Um, that's the thing I worry about more than him being able to play than, you know, than him just costing them possessions. Playing well, but doing the rookie thing and costing them possessions, especially because he's so young. He's not a four-year college player. He's young. He's clearly a touch immature. And, yeah, we still don't know if he could actually shoot the damn ball. Yeah, I think it's um, overly wishful thinking on my part. But, you know, I yeah. want to have a little bit of optimism in, in what's been a bit of a rough stretch. It's happened. You know, it's they, they obviously, you know, walloped Brooklyn the other night, which felt great. But, like, you know, they're, they've been going through a stretch of, you know, just over 500 basketball, and the Flyers have kind of collapsed after that, you know, long point streak, and I'm looking for something to be positive about. Um, luckily for us, we have Jake Arrieta, uh, which we talked about at, at, at extensive length on uh, Monday's show, for those who might not have caught it yet. Um, it, I, Why don't, I don't we talk know, about like, the Eagles moves? Why yeah, don't we talk about let's, the Eagles let's do that. So, so go ahead. Let, let me. So yeah, um, you know, if you're just catching up, Trey Burton has gone. Brent Selleck is gone. Um, <laughs> uh, they're adding a former seventh round Broncos linebacker Corey Nelson, and then also it sounds like, although I guess there was one report saying don't, this isn't quite a done deal yet, even in the tampering window. Haloni uh, Nada, um, which would be make their defensive line just it's gross unstoppable and the only thing i could think is that howie roseman um is is buying into the concept of of building from the inside out and you thought that might be the case when they went after uh they went and got Derek barnett and then they took um you know they took the shot on Sidney jones they drafted two corners and you know, obviously seeing what they've done so far this offseason, you get that that's a sense. The other part of it is the corners really aren't that good, and they might believe, and obviously they won the Super Bowl with this philosophy, they're good enough if we can keep pressure on the quarterback. They're not great, but they're good enough. And rather than try and patchwork or improve the, the secondary their thinking is let's just improve the line that much more and continue to mask any holes that we have in the secondary, which I don't think is a bad strategy because they run these rotations. And now you can run, you can essentially run two full rotations of starting caliber players. Yep. Um, I don't know how any offensive line they go up against is going to keep up. And ironically, um, the one game where they really got torched on defense and you know nearly lost them the Super Bowl was against the Patriots who are obviously great but they should have been able to get more pressure on Brady so out of all of this they might actually be looking at the Super Bowl and saying yet we thought our line was good we're actually we could be much much better um and prevent situations like you have a team just running up and down the field on you like the Patriots did um so and 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 getting Lane Johnson to restructure his contract that was massive. Uh, save the Eagles loads of money next year. Now, to be the, clear, Lane does not lose any money. It is just a full-on reshuffling of the deck. He will still get all the same guaranteed money. Uh, much less is his actual salary, I believe, will be yeah, $100 so million here, dollars the numbers, this year. The, the numbers are as follows. So they created $7.5 million mm-hmm. in cap space. Um, his cap hit is now $4.98 million, down from $12.48 million. He's collecting a base salary of seven hundred ninety thousand, um, down from his original base salary of ten point two five million. So, in essence, they've they've created seven and a half million dollars of cap space just by restructuring and changing into a, a four plus million dollar signing bonus. I don't know where Howie Roseman went off to in the off season, Germany, somewhere in Europe, learning the ways of of. Uh, I guess EPL front office wizardry and studying management, studying being a general manager, meeting with other teams and players. And Adam tweeted this. He may have mentioned it on Sims and Lefko. Drink. Um, that he sort of found a white space in the NFL. Uh, and the, and I believe this space might be existing for a guy like Jake Arietta, which we could talk to as well, where 
The focus has shifted so hard in sports towards analytics and young guys on the cheap and value and valuing certain commodities and not overpaying veterans and and veter you know the notion of the of the guy who's in his late twenties or early thirties commanding a big paycheck is like dead in sports and what how what Adam's point was that Howie Roseman has found this sort of white space where the league doesn't value these veteran players who are maybe just at the top of their hump or one or two rungs below their peak and slowly on the way down, but still have several good years left, at least two good years left. And they're able to get these guys on team-friendly deals. Um, so what he did last offseason clearly paid off, and it looks like he's doubling down on that philosophy. It's been just downright, it's been downright impressive. Like there's there's it nothing is. you can say. And I sit here thinking about Chip Kelly and has anyone checked on him since the Super Bowl? Has has he done anything publicly? Because you have to wonder, like, how much of an L he's taken on this. And I know he doesn't care. He's moved on. He's got a job. It doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, man, like, that guy came in here, and I was all in his camp, and, uh, you know, certainly was wrong about that and all of that. But, man, like, you talk about someone who looked at Howie Roseman thought he was a clown, pushed him off to the other side of the building. The guy comes back and wins the Super Bowl, basically after having one full year to put his team together. Um, Chip Kelly looks like a real a real a-hole right about now. Um, so I don't know. I just continue. I'm, I'm blown away by what Howie Roseman has done. And, and you know, everything he touches isn't going to turn to gold. But um, thus far this offseason, again, just um, like borderline flawless, flawless execution so far. Yeah, I mean, and one of the things that I, I think, you know, people have, have rightly pointed out on Twitter um, is the fact that Howie has done so few of the uh, the kind of deals that Chip did where he would just kind of take on dead cap just for the sake of getting rid of a player. And I think it's like, you know, a, a lot of people have, for some reason have kind of cued in or honed in on the idea that trading Vinnie Curry is going to create cap space when that's something that can't become a, a official until the league year rolls over. The Eagles still have to get cap compliant. Um, there are rumors about, you know, who they might, like, will they cut Vinny Curry? Are they going to just try to restructure someone else's deal in the same way that they did with Lane? I think they only have to get about $3 million yet under the, uh, to get under the cap. And then maybe they end up making uh, what I would assume is going to be a Vinny Curry draft day trade would be my guess. I think they're going to, they're going to have to figure out a way to work this out, but I still don't understand why Jason Peters is on the roster. I, I like, I can't explain it. I I still haven't had anybody give me a legitimate reason. Like I know that the guy is a future Hall of Famer, but he's coming off of off of an, another massive injury. His play his his play has been on the decline for probably the last two or so years. He's he not quite, getting uh, any well, younger. I'll stop you and, there. He was quite good at the, uh, before he got hurt last year. He he had be, had was having a significant bounce back year. I would say prior to getting injured. Maybe not what he was at his peak, but he was. How many times did we even talk about him last year? None, which means he was Aside doing his job. Aside from false starts, yeah. I mean, yeah. how many I, false starts did he really have? I don't. Like, I bet if you look it up, it, it's, pull, yeah. you're thinking I, of well, one he, or two that stick in your mind, and and that's that. I mean, look, Vitai did a terrific job, and again, goes down lore, instant lore for someone who came in and one of those role players who just did his job and got you over the hump. But he's still not Jason Peters. There is a locker room entity to Jason Peters. And part of this whole white space thing that we were talking about is being able to value um, guys. It's almost like the human element is now coming back into sports. Now, maybe this isn't it's this is more the case in baseball than it is in football. But, you know, there's always there's like these ocean swings. And I, I like to think of it like there's water sloshing around in like not a pot, but something square, like a baking pan, and you fill it up half with water, and you slosh it right, and you slosh it left, and it's like the ocean tides. Bear with me. Like your Jefferson's Ocean bourbon? I got more. I got some Jefferson's Reserve this evening, actually. Ooh. They were out of the ocean. I do want to, They're coming out with a weeded ocean. I do want to try the cast strength, but I got like the Jefferson's seaweed? Reserve. Did not spend time Did not spend time in the ocean. Uh, just aged it a little bit extra longer. Um, the rum cask is nothing... They take, they take one, they don't put it on the ocean, they put it in an old rum cask for six months. That one's just okay. Um, don't It's $75, it's not worth the money. Um, 
I'm looking forward to the reserve when we're done here, though. However, so my point. So it's sloshing back and forth. And I feel like sports have gone, and a lot of things, have gone so far in favor of analytics because they were hot and trendy. And now things are starting to not tilt back, but like all that water has hit the side of analytics, and it's just starting to sort of even out in the pot, right? It doesn't mean we're tilting it the other way, but it means we've gone that way, we hit the wall, and now we're setting it flat, and we're letting the water just kind of get back to where it's its natural state. And I think you're seeing teams that have the ability to still factor in that human element and not be so quite overly concerned with the pure numbers and the salary and specific stats and all of that. Again, probably more important in baseball. But, you know, I think a guy like Jason Peters is is somewhere in that equation where, yeah, if you're building a, a team, this might not make sense. But you see what a leader he is when those guys come out there carrying his jersey in the Super Bowl. This isn't just some guy. And as, and though we say, well, Brent Selleck's been here forever. He's well-liked. He's a staple in the city, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, I don't think he was that guy the way Peters was, the way every single guy on this team seems to respect Peters. So it, it's it's one of those situations where it's like, you know, Chase Utley with the Dodgers comes back because he was a borderline bench coach for them. And his value might not be as much on the field as the way he can lead the young guys. And we got away from that in sports for a few years. And now the edge may be in being able to do that sort of thing well. So I think that might actually work in Peter's favor. Whether they keep him or not, who knows. But I'm more worried about the knee than anything. But who knows? Yeah, he just counts nearly $11 million against your cap right now. Still a very, it's still a very important position, though. And if it you is, think that like, he, his leg is going to be okay, he's still probably better than the alternative. And yeah, like we won a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback and all that, but you do not, you know, you still want to invest as much as you possibly can because the most important thing prior to last year, and this remains the case, is is protecting Carson Wentz, and more so now than ever. And uh, you know, if if he gives you the best opportunity to do it. There are much worse ways to spend the money because you're you're, in effect, doubling down on more than just one position. You're doubling down on two guys, on Peters and Wentz. I mean, Peters is a Wentz is a Wentz. The left tackle is a Wentz investment, not a left tackle investment. You realize that, like dead money aside, because I'm I'm not positive about what those numbers look like. But if you took Vinnie Curry and Jason Peters off this team, you'd be playing with about twenty two million dollars of cap space. Uh, I'm not, I'm not campaigning openly that I, I think the Eagles screwed up here, but Trey Burton was somebody that I thought did a good job of filling in for Zach Ertz. You were never going to pay him $8 million a year. Like Chicago just did eight, uh, four, was a four years, $32 million deal. Um, but you know, he was on with, uh, with Marks and Reese and they asked him, you know, specifically, did you ever, did did it ever get close with the Eagles? Did they make See, a competitive just so, offer? Just so you're clear, on on Vinnie Curry, his dead cap hit is six million, so they would okay. save five million if he's cut pre June first. So, okay, you know, I uh, now he, he might not be a, be around, but yeah, it's it's something that, um, like I said earlier, Howie is not big on taking dead cap hits, but yeah, I see what you're saying. Or should he be? Uh, yeah, um, but Trey Burton, you know, came out and said that he was disappointed and he was hurt that the Eagles didn't seem to make any kind of a play whatsoever. That doesn't mean a significant play or, or come close. It's that it just sounded like they flat out were not interested in trying to retain him. And I think that could go down as a bit of an issue on two levels. So somebody I know who works uh, close to the team told me that uh, Zach Ertz... Ooh, I know and, who this is. Okay. That Zach Ertz and, and Trey Burton uh, were... You know, we're really close friends. We're practically inseparable for, you know, most of their time together, uh, especially this past season. And when you now are removing two guys that were in that tight ends room uh, with Zach Ertz, I'm a little bit surprised. If they were going to make the move to get rid of Selleck, I thought that they would have at least made some kind of an effort to retain Burton. If they were going to let Burton go, I figured they would try to retain Selleck. Maybe they would cut him, but then they would sign him to a lower cap hit. I am surprised that they're going to go with so much turnover at that position. And I know that Ertz had his breakout season finally. But, you know, I think at some point we do have to kind of question how much turnover is too much turnover. And I, I am a little bit a little bit worried about that kind of influence. Now, granted, Ertz and Wentz are very close friends. 
they're both still here. It'll be fine. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised about Selleck. You kind of figured Burton was going to get his payday. And while he was a he was a great player to have around, um, you know, his, his skills, while, while versatile and well-liked and and always playing above his his fighting weight, so to speak, to me he feels like one of those guys. And, again, I sort of said this about the Eagles this season, like they were going to peak or whatever, and I was wrong. So take this with a grain of salt. But to me, he feels like one of those guys who, given more snaps, will be exposed for just not quite being as talented as, as you know, certainly a guy like Ertz, but even like a, a mid-level tight end. You know, he's one of those, he, the Tomas Perez of tight ends. That's doing him a disservice, perhaps, but you get the point. Um, you know, too, you do know who Tomas Perez is. Yes, I know who Tomas Perez is. Okay. Do you remember so, how we, we did this last summer, and then you cut it out? I'll do it. So no, but I feel like, I feel like, um, you know, he, he's, you know, he, he's going to get exposed now, and pay, overpaying him wouldn't have made sense. I'm a little surprised Selleck left. However, I will say that little birdie um, told me that he spoke with Selleck on the day of the parade, and his impression was that Selleck um, might retire. Now. I got to look up more because I wasn't expecting we were going to go here. I got to look up a little bit more into the how the difference between retirement and getting released works. If you get released and they're on the hook to pay you anything, if you retire, you're basically rejecting that away, I believe. I think it's the other way around. Say that. Uh, explain. If you retire, they're not on the hook to pay you. I don't, I don't know about that because the the team still maintains your rights. It was the kind of deal that they had with Marshawn Lynch in Seattle. Remember, like they were retaining his rights while he was in his quasi retirement, and then they had to eventually trade it to Oakland. I mean, you might still be on the hook for it. Maybe it doesn't count against your cap, but I think you still. I, I don't know. We've gone down a, a rabbit hole. I don't think either of us were. Ready no, for. we are. But I wouldn't be surprised if he just hangs him up. And him, being, I wouldn't either. Quote unquote, no, no. released uh, is more or less a, some sort of financial favor. It looks like there's a he's due a one million dollars signing bonus for this year. Um, it looks more or less like that might be a favor, and then that he hangs him up. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, it's just I just think it was thought. telling. He was at the Sixers game, wearing his Eagles hat the day that he got released by the Eagles. I, I think you're right. I think there's something to be said for him going out on top. And honestly, and, and, like, and, why are you going to, why are you going to go try to establish yourself with, with another team? It's, it's exactly. probably not going to be a contender at this point. You just kind of ride off here on the high. Yep. Bo Allen. Off. I mean, he's a big part of the community and keep doing yep. his thing. Bo Allen's also gone. He wrote a, a thank you letter to the fans and to, uh, to the coaches and teammates and all that. I mean, obviously we kind of knew that was going to happen. That was part of why Haloti Nada was brought in was to fill that spot. Um, I'm just getting a chuckle right now because I'm, I'm checking Twitter and I'm seeing multiple Sixers beat writers complaining that uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were only made available during uh, Brett Brown's press conference when none of them or, or very few of them were around. <sighs> Now, I, now I'm wondering. I wanna, I'm, I, wait, I'm checking to see if Kevin is 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 currently complaining about this. No Embiid availability tonight. Was ready to do his media while Brett Brown was still speaking. Also, even Kevin is. I don't think uh, he was. No, that doesn't see. Okay, I don't want to get. I don't want to get Kevin in hot water. I think the way that Kevin goes about explaining these things is done in a much more professional, not as whiny way, as some of the other guys on the beat. Guys or girls on the beat. Guys or women. I don't know what the right way to say this nowadays is. But the people who are on the Sixers beat, there are Chicks, certain there are certain no there are certain people Babes. who like <laughs> there there are certain people who are on the Sixers beat who stop. Stop. It you're gonna go Mike Jarek levels. Did you see Mike Jarek on uh on John Oliver about uh uh, that was no. a thing. Oh, okay. Really? Well, well, yeah, I yeah. might actually watch that tonight. I, it was I mean, a it was a very short thing about him kind of making Mike Jerk remarks on in, on National Women's Day. Anyway, uh, there are okay. certain people who are on the Sixers beat who like to complain or or word things in a way that sure make it sound like they're complaining about the job they do. So uh, about, like, are you how difficult to, it is to do their job? Whose tweet are I'm you not, referring to? Because Derek not, Bodner had a tweet that was a little slightly passive. If I'm 
correct? The last like... time that I called out a Sixers beat writer, I got I got slaughtered on Twitter for uh, you know everybody should get along. We all like the same team. It's like that, whatever. Uh, here, here's Bodner's tweet. Embiid and Simmons were quote made available to the media during and only during Brett Brown's post game press conference comma, when virtually none of the media were actually in the locker room. So don't expect many thoughts from six or stars on tonight's game. Um, Kevin's tweet, no Embiid availability tonight, was ready to do his media while Brett Brown was still speaking. What I suspect happened, and if you could pull up a Keith Pompey tweet while I'm talking here, that would be I would good. do that right now. Thank you. Um, what I would suspect happened here is that Embiid was frustrated. And again, we could ask Kevin about this, but it sounds like, just from parsing these tweets, Embiid was frustrated. Didn't particularly want to talk. Knew he had to talk. So went out. He did so early so he can get in and out. Brett Brown was speaking. None of the media was there. So he said, all right, well, no one's here. That's my availability, and I'm going home. Um, Pompey has nothing. That doesn't sound like it's on the team as much as it is on Embiid. Um, So there you go. Pompey has nothing. Sarah Todd has nothing. Kyle Newbeck has nothing. Okay. I'm just kind of narrowing it down. I was hoping that there would be more of them who who complained about stuff, but – Nope, yeah, I a, mean, look, no. and this is this is a, and this is a a a trap, um, you know, that beat writers can fall into, and I don't, I actually don't think Kevin has fallen into it here, but you know, you go to game, you know, how do you cover the game? And Kevin covers it differently from everyone else. What we do on the site, Derek Bodner covers it different, differently. Quite frankly, you know, Kevin's not relying on Joel Embiid's quotes to put together his thousand word piece tomorrow morning. Um, you know, but the, av- the the average beat writer on the mainstream sites are relying on this framework of go to game, watch game, write what happened, get quote, fill in the quotes here. The stories are written before before they're down there, and they know what quotes they're looking for and where they want to insert them, and, and they seek them out. And then when they don't get that player, then they bitch about it because now their very formulaic piece is not – it's hard to write because they don't have the sound from the player and whatever – and I get why they're chippy about it, but this is why they I, hated Hinky, right? Like, yeah, I, I it, it, yeah, you're right. I, this I you're is saying. why they hated Hinky, but honestly, it doesn't really fucking matter. Like, you it know, you're it, right. Yep. No player is going to give you anything or shattering if they don't ever speak to the media throughout the course of the season. Then, yeah, of course, like you, you want to talk to that player, someone like Fultz, would be nice to really kind of find out in his words what's going on. Like, sure, there are situations like that, but this is what, I hate when I hate when they'll just like bitch about like little things like this. A guy gets frustrated. Like, they're fucking humans. It's a long season. They talk to you guys. Like twelve times per week, <laughs> you can go a night without speaking to them. Like they're not your girlfriend. You don't have to text them at three a.m. wondering what's wrong. Like get over it. Yep. I and and like all of this said, I do a lot of consuming of sports media, so I still read all of these people and I enjoy the work they do. I just don't. I don't understand why you're complaining about the job that you have to do when it's a job that a lot of people would love to do. It would it yeah. would be like it'd be like me and it'd you be like all of the Eagles writers complaining about a Thanksgiving game and then a Christmas game when the schedules came out. Yep. That's that's at least part of it. Yep. Um okay, so a lot of turnover in Eagles land. Um I, I know you were really high on the Jake Arietta presser today. Did you have any highlights or anything that, that really uh stole the show for you? Yeah, we don't have spent a, a, a ton of time on this. Um I I love the fact and this post didn't do as well as I thought, and this is indicative of the state of interest in the Phillies right now. No, joke, how does that feel, by the way? What's that? I want to I want to get it from you because you're you're the one who started the whole thing. When you do a post, let people into your brain a second. Uh, it is a frightening place, and there are a lot of uh, <laughs> dirty jokes in there. But you know, uh, you know when like... you write, when you actually go and you have an inspiration to write a post, and like how how often are you checking to see how many hits it gets does it become like an obsessive thing like i've gotten obsessive about looking at the listener numbers for the episodes like i'll I'll check it periodically and it and it makes me nervous and then we get like the big points of the day where people are listening and then i get really excited again but like i will be honest other than the couple days after the super bowl just because that was so out of like so out of normal bounds that I was just more intrigued to see like, holy shit, like, you know, how, how much traffic did we actually get today? You know, just 
because, hey, I was always wondering if a team ever won the championship, what would that do to our traffic? Other than that, I don't know if I've checked the the final stats on a post I've had uh, this year. Um, now, part of the reason is because I like I use we use Chartbeat, which is a real time tool. Which if I give you access to, you'll you'll never you'll never get anything done. Um, give me access. But no, it's the greatest tool. I've been using it since day one. Um, What's it called? Say it again. Chart Chartbeat. Um, I've been using this since literally day one in 2009. And I don't think the site would exist without it because it's a real-time tool that shows you in real time who's on your site, how long they've been there, what they're reading, what kind of device they're on, how long it's taken the page to load, and all of that. And it puts it out in a nice little graph, and the graph is always comping the same day the previous week. So, you know, I always sort of make it a goal to beat the previous week, which, you know, in theory is great. It's can't do that every single week because you'll just go directly up but you know that's my daily goal is to always have that blue line ahead of the gray line from last week um i look at that frequently and i look at it more for the site as a whole than my specific post um you know and i could usually tell by how many people are initially reading a post how successful it's going to be and i could probably tell you within 10 percent what those final numbers would be in terms of hits after 24 hours, just by looking at it after the first eight to 10 minutes of being posted. Um, so that's what I look at. And I do look at that all the time, not as obsessively as I used to. When I started the site, I definitely obsessed over this stuff. Um, now I just sort of look a few minutes after it's up, see how many people are reading. And that almost instantly tells me um, how popular it was, how well received it was, you know, how much traction it's getting, that sort of thing. The, the reason I bring this up is because the the post about John Middleton, the owner of the Phillies, who's kind of a badass billionaire, wants to win, all this, personally flying and escorting the big signing, Jake Arrieta, to Florida and getting off the plane, not only sending the Phillies plane, going in the Phillies plane and picking him up. That's a really cool story. And if that was, say, Ruben Amaro, I know he wasn't the owner, a few years ago going to pick up Cliff Lee. Or if that was Howie Roseman going to pick up, I, I don't know, Carson Wentz after the draft, you know, something like that. Um, those, this post would have blown up because we've always sort of specialized in those like fun little lifestyle things, like finding a, a slightly unique angle in whatever. And that post hit with a thud today. And to me, it's just indicative of you know, the interest in the Phillies is still very, very lukewarm. Now, I get that it was a short post and all that. It wasn't, it was far from a groundbreaking post. But, like, I usually have a pretty good sense for, like, hey, that's a cool little thing. The owner went on the plane and we got a screenshot and it's funny and we snark about his attire. And, you know, those sorts of things usually do well. And it, it hit with a thud. So I thought that was cool that he went and picked him up himself in the team plane and flew from wherever he was coming from, somewhere out west. It looks like Arietta lives somewhere with palm trees. I want to say Arizona. Um, but, yeah. Overall, um, if that was Jeffrey Lurie going to pick up a big time signing like that, that post would have been crazy. Would have been shared. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah, no, nothing. Um, the, so the, the Phils still have a long. The Phils have a long way to go right now because they might be in a distant fourth. The thing that I thought was the most interesting about it, and I, I agree that that Middleton is a big deal. I actually liked the video that the Phillies put out that after he got off the plane, they're having kind of like the uh, the bro moment, the bromant, if you will. That uh, was he's awesome shaking, content. He's shaking, Hashtag he's shaking, content. Yeah, he's shaking everybody's hand. And the one guy was actually the scout who helped draft him originally. And he's he's standing there in his Phillies polo. And I don't know the guy's name, but I thought that was a cool moment. Uh, I'm trying to think. What was the name of the guy who made... Oh, that was bad. That was bad. That's a mic. That's a mic falling. What was the name of the guy who made the Phillies out of camp last year? Who, like, we heard... Was it Brock Stassi? Was mm. or Stassi right? That was that was the guy's name, I think. Yeah, and, and God, he, God, this team sucks. That's ladies be like, and gentlemen, he's... my client Brock Stacy. Sorry, little bad Paul Heyman there. Um, but like, remember when he's going to Brock... be the answer to a trivia question someday? Seventy-eight when... career bats, thirteen hits. Do you remember when Ouch. when Brock signed? He thanked the scout by name. 
Yes. He was really hype about that guy being the one who brought him into the minor league system and then well, got him the big break with the major league team. Yeah, I, I was call up. He, yeah, I was immediately transported back to that moment, except Jake Arrieta is like an actual awesome baseball player yeah. with a fantastic beard and a physique that like would make you weep. Yeah, and it's going to make uh, Gabe Kapler weep. Um, the press conference itself was it was good. It was nothing crazy. You know, Arietta actually seems like his mound demeanor is like that of a crazy Norse man. Um, yes. But, you know, he's the times I've heard him talk, he's way more like grounded and down to earth and whatever. Like, he just sounds like a real straight shooter. Like, it's hard to it's hard to describe. Like, he's just supremely confident, but he's not arrogant. Like, he seems like a genuinely decent guy. Um and thoughtful and whatever, and I don't know. I think people are going to love him here. I really liked him with the Cubs. Like, I thought his whole demeanor, his social media, his ability, like his whole – Kapler, uh, Kapler alluded to him being a badass on demand. He didn't directly call him that. We said we want our young guys to be badasses, uh, you know, much the way that he is. And, like, first of all, such a, you know – Screw you, sabermetrics. We got the guy because he's a badass on the mound. But I, I think there's something to that, and I think he's going to be really liked here, um, even if he's not the pitcher he was in in 2015 and or 2016. Um, yeah, I don't it's, know. The press conference is good. He said we're going to fight. We're going to we're going to fu- uh, we're going to uh, we're going to fight and we're going to conviction win. Fight and win. Um, and he said it with a confidence without trying to you know get himself a slogan and t-shirts and all of that i just thought he genuinely met it and do genuinely want to win and he's going to be a great addition uh whether he's ready or not for the season whatever but the Phils have turned a page you don't john middleton's the first guy who was thanked um arietta got a lot of questions about what we talked about about it taking so long and the market being different in baseball and all that and i thought he handled himself well uh was clear that he was you know disappointed it took this long he wasn't like totally wiping over it but at the same time was very um you know seemed genuinely in on the phillies the scott Um, boris part of the press conference was both strange and also oddly satisfying uh one of his quotes was uh talking about what arietta brings to the phillies he said something along the lines of he puts the cream in the coffee so it's ready to drink he also talked about like they they were talking to him uh they asked about the free agent market and everything and he's like Imagine that Major League Baseball teams, there are, there are 30 boats, and then you take 12 of the boats away, and there are six boats remaining. And, like, I just got so sucked into that in both a where the hell is he going with this, and also this is really beautiful imagery, and I'm excited because boats mean it's getting warmer, and if it's getting warmer, that means summer. If it means summer, that means there's Phillies and there's Union, and they're both going to disappoint me, but I'm going to have games to watch every day. Yay. If it was, uh, yeah, I think what he was saying, and I thought it was a good uh, metaphor. I, it was, I believe it was, there's 30 boats, you know, about teams being competitive and not going after these high-priced mid-career free agents anymore. And what he said is, you know, if, there were, if there's an ocean or a bay or whatever, and there's 30 boats out there fishing, it used to be all 30 were going for the fish. Now you take away 16, and that leaves you with 14 boats. But five of those boats are have fuel cost concerns, so they're not really fishing. They're just sort of out there. And that leaves you with just a handful of teams that are actually truly competing and trying to catch the fish. And the Phillies are the, bring the competitiveness through the real which I thought was delightfully illustrative um, and well said. And, yeah, I actually it was weird, and the coffee line was definitely weird. But, you know, sometimes I feel like people in sports are generally dumb. Like, let's be honest. Athletes are not brainiacs. Most coaches aren't brainiacs. Most GMs aren't brainiacs. And occasionally you get guys who are a little bit more um, – not heady, uh, intellectual. You get a Sam Hinkie you come across. You come across a guy like Scott Boris, who's an agent. You know, guys who are clearly operating on a level or plane or two higher in terms of, like, you know, brainwaves. And it's a little jarring in a sports content. If someone said that to you at a conference or at a meeting or whatever, you know, you'd be nodding your head and be like, okay, maybe they're a little weird, but, you know, it, that's a really good point. When they say it, alongside athletes and coaches or whatever you know it sounds like they're they're they sound like confucius because you know 
the it's a little bit of a contrast between what you normally get from those press conferences, I feel like, which is why Hinky was ridiculed by the old school people here who were literally too fucking dumb to understand anything he was actually saying. I just stumbled upon a Spanish reporter who had a quote. Um, let me translate this quick. Um, he said the Phillies uh, were in the mix the whole time. Uh, there are people in the organization who who have known Jake Arrieta since he signed with the Orioles uh, quite a while ago, and they they knew what they were getting. I thought maybe the the most interesting thing I forget who tweeted it out, but it was during the press conference. Someone it was a, a national media guy um, tweeted that maybe the most interesting thing of the optics was uh, with Boris being there is as if Boris was kind was kind of signaling to future free agents that the Phillies are a team that's worth giving legitimate consideration to. That's I mean, not a bad, he, not a bad interpretation. And, and I definitely liked it because like, look, he was at the Moustakis press conference. Um, Moustakis was a, a guy who, you know, was apparently looking for close to $20 million on the open market as a third baseman, uh, apparently turned down a $17.4 million deal and ended up signing for like six and a half million. Uh, Buster only even wrote a piece that's behind a paywall that essentially said that Scott Boris probably more than anybody wants a, a do-over on this offseason. Um, Boris, to his credit, has not hidden from the limelight, and he's definitely screwed up a, f- a few times this offseason. But, um, you know, when the reporters pushed him on, you know, his thoughts on the Phillies, he he did make it sound like, um, you know, the con- the idea or perhaps the misconception that people have is that the team is far from competing when, you know, he sees legitimate talent, young talent that's, you know, ready to compete, ready to go out hard. And I think that's why, you know, Jake's line about competing and winning was, was such a, uh, a succinct point. That's the word of the day, succinct. And, uh, yeah. Speaking of, speaking of succinct, this is your captain speaking. We're going to be, uh, we're going to be making our final approach here. So, uh, this is going to be another episode of the Crossing Broadcast. I love that this is going to be a thing now. Waitress, uh, Crossing uh, Broadcast really quick. What, what We've got an iTunes your flight attendant. A flight attendant. By, Thank you. iTunes ratings, uh, five stars in Let's iTunes. Please shades. remember to subscribe to the podcast. We have the Crossing Broad Podcast Network coming soon. Could uh, we be a brought that up on Monday. A five-star review. Do you remember that person who I said changed their their review four or five times? Well, they finally gave us five stars, Kyle. Nice. And they have a pr- they have a proposal. They said that uh, they don't use social media, so this is the only way to communicate. How about an NCAA bracket for listeners? Winner gets a T-shirt. Well, I don't know how you feel about that. And then Tuesday somebody left night. a three-star review, calling out the person who left the five-star review, who had previously left a three-star and a one-star review. We have people within the iTunes reviews calling each other out. Well, whatever. Um, I, yeah, I look, I would do a thing. I would give up even more than a t-shirt. The problem is, well, it's not the problem. The problem is I'm lazy. And then you got to organize these things and set them up and put out a link and do all this and do all that. And then at the end of the, after the first weekend, everybody forgets about it. And there's three people in contention. And then you gotta, you gotta, I don't even like, it, you know, me, Russ, me and logistics don't go together real well. That's and why I'm here. All these contests require logistics. So if you want to do it and you want it, you could do it for crossing broad and do it. And I'll offer uh, up a t-shirt or whatever. And I, a t-shirts, a hundred dollar gift card. I don't even care. Uh, I'll happily do it. But, uh, yeah, it's easy yeah. to set up an ESPN tournament for it. Can I like tell we, you, I haven't played in a pool the, in about four or five years. Well, we need to do that. All right. We'll set up an ESPN tournament and I don't I'm going to do could, one you, this year. You could like tweet it out or something. I'll, I'll tweet well. it out. Share it yeah, out. See, to then I gotta tweet it out. I gotta remember to do all that. Seriously, it's a retweet. I'll freaking it's... tweet it, and you can retweet it. My God, your life's not that hard right now. Okay, the shirt, the shirt madness is most of the way over. Oh no, life I'm not saying good. it's hard. I just I'm like too forgetful. I'm too... Um, like, I it just point becomes out really... a to do. Uh, this is your co-captain, your uh, co-pilot on the uh, on the mic. Um, really quick, I love this, and I think this is gonna be a new thing. If somebody leaves a one star review, I'm gonna start calling out all the goofy reviews they've left about nonsense iphone or itunes apps and uh and ios apps can you one person in someone else yes you can so that's awesome so uh here's to you birds fan who said so the best part of the pod is gone cool complete amateur hour without lefko russ should be the distant third wheel uh here now he's like the dominant voice sad well birds fan let me critique a few of your uh things there's a, a book that you reviewed called Letter to a Christian Nation. Truth, five stars. Religion is for dummies. You also left a five-star or a four-star review for Kick 
social networking, okay, and the comment functional. And finally, words with cheat. Wait, words with cheats for friends? You're not even good enough at words for friends that you're now going out and finding a cheating app to help you with words for friends? Great app, four stars with the uh, the description. Great app. So a reminder, please leave a five-star review. If you leave a one-star review, we will start to call out the ratings that you have left on other iTunes podcasts. I and, really uh, hope we can find a one-star review someone left for a Kama Sutra book. You just had to take it there. And ladies and gentlemen, this has been another fantastic episode of The Crossing Broadcast. We've been on the ground about four minutes. Thank you. You have a great rest of your Wednesday or Tuesday night whenever you're listening to this. We will talk to you again on Friday, and hopefully some Philadelphia team will do something good and win a game. Bye.